Okay, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast and Happy New Year. Um, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I haven't posted an episode in a while, um, so I just wanted to say, man, I've been busy, man. I'm sorry. It's been a long time, Shun, I've left you without a dope uh, episode to step to, but um, I'm here. I'm here. It's 2023. This is the first episode. Um I actually have a few episodes in the tank, so I actually uh, have interviewed a few people, and uh, those episodes will be dropping in the coming weeks. But to kind of like start off the year, um, I wanted to post something we did with the Ninja Podhop, right? So um, if you've been listening to the podcast or if you've been following on social media, uh, you know that um, Culture Class and myself started something called Podbreak. Um, Podbreak is a group of African podcasters in the diaspora. You know, we kind of like started it a year ago. Podbreak actually turned a year old this month, actually, January 2023. So check out podbreak.org uh, if you want to learn about what we do. Uh, but we're basically just a group of African podcasters. And one of the things we were deliberate about doing last year was collaborating with other African and Black podcasting groups. So we did something with the Zambian Podcasters Hub. Uh, we did something with the Ninja or Nigerian Podcasters Hub. Um, I think we have something scheduled with the APVA. Uh, and we, we did stuff with CPA and all these other organizations as well. So I kind of like want to post um, kind of like a session or something that we did on Clubhouse last year. Um, you know, it was Podbreak and Ninja Podhub. Um, you know, we try to talk about African art, you know, music, movies, podcasts, you know, and how we can export African art. Um, you guys know how these clubhouse rooms be getting sometimes. So, you know, bear with, you know, this is very minimal editing or no editing at all. So, so bear with how random the conversation seems as well. But yeah, I just wanted to, you know, break you guys off with something to start out the year. And, you know, coming like in a few weeks, maybe every two weeks, I'll release new episodes going into 2023, uh, trying to get to that 200 episode mark. So thank you guys for rocking with Culture Class. Can you believe that this is the fifth year of the podcast, 2023? It's great. Like we started in 2018. You know, 2023 is the fifth year. The podcast will, will turn five years old much later in the year, towards the end of the year, like November, December or something. Uh, but the goal of mine is kind of like to try to get to 200 episodes by um, our 50-year anniversary. You know, have a whole bunch of interesting guests, maybe bring some past guests on. But um, you guys should shoot, shoot, shoot me a message on social media. Um, tell me what you want to see uh, going into this year, our 50-year of the podcast. Um, if you want us to do a little things differently or and whatnot and um just what you love to see and, and if it's your first time discovering the podcast we have a whole bunch of episodes you can go back to and listen to um if you want to learn more about podbreak again it's podbreak.org um you can go there that's our the group of african podcasters that culture class is a part of as well um but yeah enjoy this little clubhouse recording and Looking forward to more culture class goodness this year. Okay, enjoy. Yeah, can I, you know, sir. I think I was yes. speaking to myself for about a minute there. But um, yeah, good to be here. Uh, shout out Tommy, shout out Feifei, shout out Mifa. 
and everyone else. Uh, yeah, like Tommy was saying, um, yeah, daylight savings can can be a bitch sometimes. You know, it's like, oh, you think it's like this time, and then it's, it's it reverses an hour back or whatnot. So, um, but yeah, thank you, uh, Nigel Podhob, for this collaboration. And I haven't eaten my Sunday jollof yet. And shout out to all the Manchester United fans in the building. <laughs> Ooh, that was that was a hot job, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that one day, that one day. Is is Faye okay though, uh, Tommy? Yes, how... she is. Oh, so to, um, it was her dad's birthday in the week, so they are eating special jello fries out, doing ah. all fancy and stuff. So <laughs> they went oh, okay. out to lunch, so she's having a good time. Oh, good, good. So far, it's a good time, and it's not like, you know, illness or anything like that. That's fine. Yeah, but she's here because FOMO now. She has to be here. But, yeah, <laughs> outside of that, she's here. But, yeah. Um, do you want to do a brief intro into what Pod Break is about? And then we can just do intro with everyone else on stage. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, so my name is Nosa, and I'm part of this group called Pod Break. And uh, Podbreak is pretty much uh, a podcasting group for Africans in the diaspora, right? Um, we're inspired by um, Africa Podfest, you know, which mo traditionally does stuff for um, a lot of people, primarily focused on podcasters on the continent. And, you know, obviously other podcasts, groups like Ninja Podhub, Zambian Podhub, Kenya Podhub, and all that. So we put together this little group of about 23 or so podcasters who are all in the diaspora i think most of us are in north america but um, i think we have one or two people in europe and one person in china as well um so pod break is just pretty much us coming together you know networking as podcasters um sharing ideas um creating opportunities for collaboration which we're also doing now today with ninja pod hub but yeah, that's pretty much us. Uh, we started in January this year, so we're technically like 10 months old or 11 months or something. And uh, we look forward to this conversation today. And if anyone here is an African podcaster in the diaspora, you can just visit our website. It's podbreak.org. That's podbreak.org. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about maybe potentially joining the group or how we can work together. So yeah. All right, thanks, Nessa. And thanks for that beautiful intro. Mifa, we met you. You're eating biscuit for breakfast, but do you want to do another intro? And yes, I'm trying to kill time, if you guys can tell, just to see about getting more people in the room. But just do a brief intro, and then Rodney, and then Aya, and then we'll just go around the room. Yeah, Mifa, 10 seconds, please. Yeah, so I'm Mifa, obviously. Or sometimes I could be other things, but for now, Mifa, uh, a writer a part-time podcaster, a lazy podcaster at that. And um, I don't know, it's it's great to be here. And I'm just excited to want to hear what everybody else has to say. I'll try to keep short as much as possible. So, Sweet. Thank you. Hi, Rodney. Um, I know when we shared like the flyer, you said you were very interested in this topic. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. But could you do a quick intro? Hey, everyone. Um, am I audible? Yes, you are. 
Yes, my name is Rodney, Rodney Omokache, and uh, I'm host of um, the award-winning Young God podcast, and uh, it's great to be here. I find this topic is very important in, um, in terms of how we orient ourselves going forward as content creators, as artists, and as podcasters. So thanks for having me, and I cannot wait to, to hear how this goes down. Awesome. Thank you. Hi, Aya. Do you have a minute to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, Tommy. Been a minute. Hi, everyone. Hope you guys are all doing good. good. Uh, name is Ayo. Ayomo. I am a writer also and a, an audio storyteller. I make podcasts. I make audio dramas. I make uh, radio commercials, um, audio books, and pretty much anything that goes on the audio waves, basically. So, um, yeah, keep it in nice and short and simple. Nice to be here. Happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks for joining. Hi, Sambaza. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, hi, Tommy. Uh, pleasure to join you guys. I know I've been in these spaces before uh, with Niger Hub. Um, just a quick note. It's just I am part of the collective with NOSA, um, the Africa Pod Fest. Not the Africa Pod Fest, but... Um, it's it's early in the morning pod break. pod break yeah it's early in the morning i'm sorry i just woke up so anyway uh it's a pleasure to be here and i'm uh, looking forward to having the topic discussed today and uh thank you all all right awesome hi Afista nova all right okay so rodney i'm gonna take it over to you and you said this is a very interesting topic and i wanted to hear your insights as to what the topic is about. It's, um, it's simple, really. I think that um, one of the things that makes exporting African art very, very, um, what's the word, profitable, not just here, but abroad is the authenticity of the stories we tell. And I found that um, the authentic African story is still is still waiting to be told, like it's beginning to sprout, but it's it's not yet. Um, like we haven't really come into our own just yet, in terms of when you think of how maybe Bollywood and Hollywood and other markets who have been in the game for like years. We're talking hundreds of years, hundreds of years of of of, of storytelling across all kinds of formats. They've been able to like master their story and tell it you think of greek greek mythology and how they tell that and how that has been translated into all kinds of media and languages and so one has to ask themselves <clears throat> you know what happened to our mythology what happened to our own stories and what happened to and, and how can we tell them in the most african way possible i think that is the, really the secret of the exportation of African art, how do we tell it? How do we master it in terms of the, the, the creativity of it all? How do we, you know, fine tune and refine the craft so that it becomes, it becomes um, palatable to audiences anywhere? Because one thing that we can all agree with is that the audience knows a good thing when they hear it or when they see it. The audience, when they see a great product or a great story, or something that is told in a way that is fascinating, they are drawn to it. 
So I'm I'm of the mindset that you know part of what is holding the African content creator back in a sense is that they're still in between two minds about what stories to tell and how best to tell it in their own way, as opposed to telling their own story, but telling it in the way that the the international audience will accept it, as opposed to telling the story for the African audience first and foremost. And so um, I think by the time we start to talk about this, we can, we're going to unpack more and more like depth as to how this affects Afrobeats, how this affects Nollywood, how this affects um, African podcasts. In fact, I am of the mind that part of the reason why African podcasts are still, you know, I mean, it's growing, but it's, it's a slow growth at this moment is because those African stories are still yet to be told in the most African way possible. I was talking to someone the other day about telling the stories of um, Madame Coin Coin and, you know, all these like African or Nigerian stories that we, we grew up as we, we grew up knowing as children. What would that sound like? If a storyteller was to to unearth those and put in a bit more detail and finesse and you know actually intentionally tell that story for an African audience first of all, not an international audience, tell it in a way that we would appreciate and we would con re reconnect with. And I think from that point on, international audiences would would would, uh, would would begin to take interest and begin to see what it is that 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 we're about. And at that point, that's where the money and the the profits and the business of storytelling begin to take fruit. So yeah, that's my thought on this. And I uh, wonder what you guys might think about what I've okay. said so far. Awesome. Um, I know there's this page on Instagram. Um, he's a comic artist and he did the whole Madame Coin Coin story. And he does like, you know, all the stories they tell us in boarding house, he makes it into comics. I think it's called Freak the Fuck Out or something. That's the name of the page. And he does stuff like that in comic form. And I think it's like really cool. But yeah, uh, he did the one for Bush Baby and one for Madame Coin Coin. But he switched up the story. Super interesting. And I loved it. And just because you mentioned it. But anyways, um, hi, Nosa. Um, would you like to share your thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean... I think it was Rodney who was speaking. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess we're moving back to the time where content is king, per se, where, you know, he whoever has the best content is paid the millions because Amazon Prime and Netflix and all these platforms are fighting for quality content. However, you know, during the course of the conversation, I also love to touch on infrastructure um, because I feel like even though, uh, what Rodney said, you know, there's some merit to it that yeah, we do need to harness our stories, tell it authentically, like Burna Boy does and all that. So we can export it that way, but without the infrastructure, like, you know, um, building our own platforms or, you know, making sure we, we have a hold on, uh, as much of the distribution platforms as we can, you know, our stories, honestly, you know, no matter how good they are, uh, can still be limited uh, in a way because um, I think Tomi just said something about Madame Coin Coin and, and she said something, something Madame Coin Coin on Instagram, right? So if Instagram wasn't in the picture, you know, I wonder how far 
that matter coin coin story will go so um during the course of the conversation i also love to touch on you know hey how can we you know also talk about the infrastructural issues that affect distribution as far as you know afrobeats because to be honest like afrobeats has always been there it's always been good music yeah the quality has improved a little bit but it's because the west is opening up their distribution channels to us that's why it's getting bigger and bigger even though you can't deny uh the content of of afrobeats so um you know like for instance last week i was talking to a jamaican lady and i was telling her where i'm from edo states and bini and all that and she wanted to learn more about it and she was going on google and google wasn't just <laughs> you know giving her you know it, it wouldn't be as you know enough education like sitting down with the elders and talking about you know heritage and all that so uh, but can you blame Google? Like, how many people from Benin are in positions of power that work at Google? You know, so maybe they don't even know that the Benin language is a thing. Yeah, you know, so I really love for us to touch on the infrastructural aspect of it and also focus on like a little bit of monetization during the course of the conversation. So, yeah. All right, awesome. Thanks, Nosa. Um, Ayo, I know you. I have you been listening because I know you be here and then you're not listening. Are you listening? See, I knew it. I wasn't listening. <laughs> All right, Mifa. Sorry, in and out. I'm so sorry. In and out. In and out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but... I, 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 I wanted to ask because Nasa yeah, mentioned something sorry. about infrastructure and being able to like. Right. tell the stories and i know you do a lot of stuff like that you're a writer you're and you do like ads and stuff and i just wanted to see like what your thoughts are on how we can authentically tell the african story to have it exported and what the possibility of exporting all these stories could be if social media was not there mm, okay that's that's kind of packed and loaded. So I think first and foremost, I think there has to be the, um, and I think it's there already, the, the, the willingness and the desire to tell the story. Um, and not just from a, a commercial point of view or from a monetization point of view to make money, but even for ourselves. Personally, I feel we even need to know our stories and we don't know our stories well enough. I was talking to, um, I did a recording uh, two days ago, Friday, Thursday, Friday, you know, uh, for a client, and we translated the commercial into local languages. You know, we did Hausa, we did uh, Yoruba, we did Pidgin, and all that. And the lady who did, uh, you know, Hausa, was just you know striking a conversation with her. She's from Taraba State. You know, came all the way uh, from Taraba. I think four years ago. You know, started you know living in Lagos and working in Lagos and all that. And she picked up voiceover and all that. And I just getting to know a little bit about you know. Um, her culture, where she's from. I mean, she mentioned a particular tribe that I don't even remember right now, you know, saying that she's actually not even housed there, but she's from a tribe that they are just about maybe 2,000 people in terms of population. I, this kind of thing sort of like interests me. So for me, it's, it's even wanting to expose, you know, our own stories to ourselves, to we Nigerians, you know, like we really, not many of us know, like, you know, even our origin stories. Or even the true origin stories of you know certain things like the you know uh shango you know the far and all that i mean the movie the king woman came out the other day and a lot of people had 
you know, many um, insights and thoughts into it. You know, yes, it was borderline, you know, based on truth and all that. But where exactly is the real, you know, story and the actual tip for that story? So for me personally, when it comes to, um, you know, telling our stories, I, I, I want it to be from an educational point of view first for ourselves. Yes, then afterwards, we can now start thinking of, okay, yes, monetizing it or, you know, exporting it. I think if we tell it for ourselves first and foremost, we also catch attention of people. And some people may want to, you know, turn it into like blockbuster movies or even export that into, you know, um, other times. There's a little bit of that happening right now, but anywhere that wants to go into, um, you know, those kind of things, either from a podcasting point of view or from an audio drama point of view, I think, you know, we need to do justice to it and, you know, just make the stories for ourselves, you know, because I'm sort of working on, um, or I have plans to work on some um, sometime next year. Um, it's not easy, to be honest, and I know that's probably another reason why many people haven't done it. Because if you have to tell that story, you have to know your facts, you have to get the facts right. And it requires a lot of research, you know, you may even have to, um, for instance, travel to find out, you know, you know, to uncover the, you know, the core truth or the real truth. So that's another reason or another, another reason rather that I think not many people can, you know, delve into it or haven't really, you know, delved into, you know, telling those stories. So it's a project that I have in mind to do, um, you know, next year. I have a one, two team of writers that are ready and all we just need is, uh, probably just a green light and you go ahead and, Maybe just put together, fund it first and foremost, you know, find historians, maybe find lecturers or find people that we can, you know, go deep into the stories. And yeah, and maybe collaborate with some people, but it's a passion project for next year for me personally. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers any of your questions. I know they're kind of like, you know, three in one questions basically, but I don't know if that answers it basically. Well, me, I was doing your in and out, so I don't even know if you answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> don't worry, I trust you. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so let me just do a quick recap. Hi, everyone that is present. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is Podcast and Chill, and this is a special one with the people of Podbreak. Podbreak is... Um, podcasting community for podcasters in the um, African podcasters in diaspora. And if you would like to be a part of Podbreak, you can go to www.podbreak.org and join. Um, it's a great community to be a part of. Um, just a place for Africans that are podcasting in the diaspora to come together and share their experiences and just keep doing the good work that we're doing. Um, so today we've been speaking on exporting African art. So if you'd like to come up on stage and be a part of the conversation, please just put your hand up and we will bring you up on stage. Um, so uh, Sambaza, do you have any thoughts to share on this? Um, I'm thinking if we were, if we were to speak about podcasting uh, without um, like the internet, I think that was what we we're talking about, if, I, if I'm correct, right? Like I said, there was three questions in one. Was that one of it? Yeah, I asked how we can export the art if we didn't have like the internet. So not just with the likes of podcasting, because I don't know how a podcast can go over the air without internet. But, you know, just basically the stories and 
the music. I know back in the day we could sell CDs and take the CD overseas and stuff. But, you know, just generally with the stories, how do we pass on the stories and stuff like that? But, yeah, pretty much that. I think from if we start from back in the day, uh, we did the word of mouth. Like stories were passed on by the elders to the younger generation, the future generation. And that's how the stories came to being. And like you uh, added quite uh, nicely about the CD, I even forgotten about that CD, uh, cassette tapes, tapes and what have you. Uh, those were one of the things that um, we had, um, we had a way of um, recording our, um, our part, not podcast, our stories and keep the stories going. Unfortunately, by word of mouth, that was kind of easy, but it did not put a stamp to it. Thank God for the internet and uh, podcast and uh, having podcasts uh, that we can share our information online such that, say, for example, if I was to talk to an elder who is going to give me a story, I will take that story from him. And if it's going to be uploaded, it's going to be in the in the in the internet and it's going to stick there for a while. One, I do have a recording of mine personally that sits in my computer or whatever. I'll have stored it, but then I will be able to share it with a bigger audience than before, like the word of mouth and and um, and with the CDs and what have you. So uh, the internet has made it possible uh, to broadcast and move our um, stories as African as Africans to the to the masses, um, like exponentially. So that's, that's been, uh, one of the, let me say one of the best things that has happened so far. And that, that is what is keeping our stories. Because like you say, once somebody tells you the story, it creates a stamp for it. Nobody can go ahead and change it. Um, whether it's true or false, it can be debated at that point, but as it sits there, it's more so factual, if you get what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing. Um, if I do have anything to add. Um, I think uh, um, both Ayo and um, Sambaza have made really, really good points. Um, again, I don't think the whole of humanity can exist without stories. Um, as much as we enjoy the folklore of you know the aged days and stuff like that, I, I, I'm also very keen in, in people writing their own stories, and I think Africans kind of you know kind of are slacked in that aspect, you know, because we are always so keen on you know protecting what we feel like is the um, or what we feel like are the pillars of our you know our existence of our cultures and stuff that we we are kind of scared to create new stories i don't know if that makes sense because to be honest once you talk about african arts the first thing that you most people think about is somebody who is maybe half naked you know with you know palm fronts and stuff like this you know telling their children about how you know the lion and the monkey ran a race and somebody won and stuff like that but i i think in, in this you know new age I think more, especially podcasters, should be encouraged to be able to create new stories. That's the power of the imagination. You should be able to write new folklores, as it were. You know, think of when you think of books like the Harry Potter, you know, genre and stuff like that. It's almost 
incredible that that was something that came out from somebody's head. And that could probably rival the Bible on some, to some degree. No, no disrespect to the Christians, though. But my point is, I feel like even as much as we're trying to preserve the old, preserve the culture that we've grown on, I think more podcasters, more creatives should be encouraged to be able to tap into their own imaginations and create newer stories, create stories that challenge the norm from the past, stories that, you know, talk about what probably the future might be like. And not just, I feel like we shouldn't just be boxed into that whole African art has to be one kind of way. I don't know if that makes sense. Because I feel most times we just have that in our head. When we talk about African art, we just have, there's always something that comes to mind when you mention African art that is not as contemporary as it should be in this day and age. So yeah, uh, I would probably encourage that as much as we want to preserve the old, let's also be open to listening to new stories, you know, bringing up new tales, bringing up new laws and stuff like that. And, you know, hopefully generations later would also benefit from how this particular period of time changed and how, you know, they could also make changes going into their own future. Thank you. And speaking of, so I'm going to ask this question and just throw it out. Um, oh, I have to turn over. You're available to speak now. I see you thumbs up. Hi. Yeah, I'm available to speak. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. How about you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, so I think um, one of the things um, if I just said about, you know, being able to put our um, story out there is one key thing because he was talking about how you know, maybe a lot of Africans, we are of this thing that we want to preserve, you know, the story and stuff like that. But the question is, what story are we even trying to preserve? Because if we look at it these days, I'm not even sure a lot of people really know what the true African story really is. At times when I get to see some of these American movies where they try to tell a story about Africa, in as much as I might get to enjoy the movie, I feel like these people are not you know, probably doing justice because, I mean, again, there is, you know, this is them telling an African story probably from their own perspective, not from the African man perspective. So there's always going to be some sort of imbalance or maybe incorrect information that they are putting out there, right? So first of all, the question is, do we Africans, do we even know our story? For example, I don't know, let me use myself for example, I can't really say, okay, this is the full story of Shaka Zulu from South Africa, or maybe this is the full story of a tribe from Kenya or even Nigeria, yeah, I can't even really talk about, you know, something that, um, what's his name? Maybe is it Arami or Oshongu or probably one of those things. And one of the things about this thing is because if we look at the way the culture or, yeah, the culture and tradition, the way it is growing, a lot of us are trying to, whether, you know, we accept it or not, it's like we are so, I don't know, maybe in the next 10 to 15 years, you might not even remember any true African story because it's not being documented anywhere. If we want to pre preserve something, at least it has to be somewhere where we can, people can always go back to go and look at the history and say, okay, this is what, you know, we are preserving. But I don't think there's much content in terms of, you know, the African story or the African arts for us to say, okay, let us even preserve this thing. It's about what we have. When you started, you were talking about, oh, uh, Miss Coin Coin, I'm sure, Okay, don't let me say I'm sure, but at least I can be say 75% or probably those within their, let's say, 18, 19, or even 17 years old in present Nigeria might not even know the story of Madame Coin Coin. 
And then we talk about preserving. What exactly are we preserving if someone of 17 years old does not even know this story? So the thing is, the story are getting gradually, they are becoming a story that has been forgotten. And so the point is we need to, whatever form we want to do it, maybe through podcast, maybe through movie. I would love to see, uh, you know, more of African movies that tells the story of slavery from the aspect of, you know, Nigeria or from the aspect of South Africa or even from the aspect of Kenya, where they tell it that, okay, this is what our own fathers or our own grandfathers or forefathers, this was what they witnessed, you know, not just the white man coming to say, okay, we came to this country and we did this and what we hear is their own part of the story. It's always going to be better if we, I think one thing I've always said is the fact that I'm not sure if Africans even know their own story that well. Why is it that it's always, you know, the Western world that comes to tell us, okay, so yes, we came to your country, you know, and we packed people as slaves or this or that. So for us to be able to tell or to, you know, export our story, first of all, us exactly is our story. Is when everybody, or let's say 75% of the continent is aware and know that, okay, this is our story. That is when we can now begin to think of, you know, exports, exports. Okay, maybe let's export the story. But if we are not aware of the story and the each or these stories they hold, then we cannot begin to export what we don't know. Anything we export might not just be authentic. So we need to write more. We need to, you know, say our own true story. And even if it's just sit down and form our own story. I mean, growing up, we had when our grandfathers would tell us stories about, you know, the tortoise and this, the tortoise and that. Imagine those tortoise and this using, you know, the technology we have now, because whether we choose to accept it or not, we need to still back on some of these technologies that we have now. Imagine a, a cartoon, you, you put on your television and you're watching a cartoon and it's a story about, you know, the tortoise and the elephant or the tortoise and the goat. And you begin to remember those things that, you know, our grandfather or grandfather when they told us. But these days, I'm not even sure somebody will give birth these days and want to tell their story about, you know, the elephant and the cockroach or something. Those stories, they're gradually, gradually fading away. And we need to find a way to begin to tell those stories back to the population. Is when a lot of people on the continent knows about this story. That's when we can begin to talk about exports. If not, I don't think there will be anything to export. Thanks for sharing, Havistanova. Aya, you were flashing your mic. Did you want to add something to that? Yeah, yeah. Just, just I mean, just adding more to what Hafiz um, just said. You know, pretty much um, what I was what I was trying to relate about it being from an educational point of view. Like I said, and like he also mentioned, we many of us don't really know our stories. So I think this thing about telling African stories has to start from you know, from getting people to understand, okay, what exactly is your origin story? And there's not, I mean, and there's no too much or too many ways of telling it. Like if you look at Netflix, for instance, Queen Elizabeth's story has been told a billion times by different people. There's no telling it too many times. So anybody can tell the same story. You know, if you want to tell about Shongo, one person can tell it, another person can take it from a different spin or a different angle. There are so many, um, um, Queen Elizabeth, like just Google Netflix, Google, like look for Queen Elizabeth stories or the story of the monarchs on Netflix. You will see about 10, 15 different, whether they're feature length movies, The Crown is the series, documentaries, you know, there are many of them. So we can all tell it from as many angles or as many points of view. And you can keep telling the same story. I think that's what really like made their culture stick. They keep telling their stories, they keep telling it, and they keep finding new ways to say it and new ways to refresh it. So I think we need to get to that point where, yes, 
we want to educate ourselves first. We also want to like let us really know the true state of things that really, really happen. Like what is Shango all about or where exactly is Shango? And I like what um Mifa also said about about reinventing the stories. They do it a lot in Nollywood. I think that's where Nollywood does a fantastic I mean Hollywood rather does a fantastic job. They take, you know, existing stories and they, you know, adapt them, you know, based on a true story, based on these some stories that move adaptations of, you know, things that really happen. And they just give you like a slightly, you know, different spin. We can also tell our stories from different angles. Everybody wants to tell the story of um, one or two of Wallace uh, Inca stories, you know, the lion and the drill or, or whatever. Everybody wants to also tell um, things fall apart. But we, we, we don't necessarily have to tell the same story. We can actually take one of the characters, the Okonkwa, and just do like a backstory of like like an origin story, for instance, of Okonkwa with reference to, um, obviously, things fall apart, you know. Game of Thrones, like the House of Dragon, is pretty much spin-offs of, you know, um, each character. So we can also, if we're going to be a bit futuristic or we want to retell our stories or, you know, tell new stories like the mentioned, we can do it, you know, from that angle. But I believe we all need to understand, you know, ourselves first and foremost and know our stories and tell our stories from an educational point of view. And it could be a movie. It doesn't always have to be a movie. Not many people will have the budget for a movie. Uh, it could be a uh, an animated strip. <laughs> It could be a, an animated documentary. It could be a full-length documentary. It could be a podcast documentary. It could be an audio drama. It could be so many things. It could be anything, to be honest. I think if we explore those avenues, whichever uh, cost-effective or whichever we have, you know, the money to spend or, you know, the, the budget for, I think the more we, we're conscious of that, the more we can get our stories um, out there. Pretty much, just want to add that to, uh, to what Hafiz and Mifa said. I have, a, I have a quick question, though. Sorry, Tony. Yes. Let me just ask this. Sure. Um, if anyone can contribute, what what do you think is the reason for um, us not telling our stories more? Why do you think um, our you know the culture in most African countries are not motivated to tell its stories? Is it that the competition from Western stories like Hollywood and the rest is just so much? Is it that our people don't see the monetization opportunities and they see, you know, Nollywood people getting sick without being getting treated, so they are not attracted to that storytelling? Or is it that, you know, it's been lost in culture as far as uh, people not really you know, paying attention to their culture as they used to do in the 80s. And, you know, the stories are just like a byproduct of being lost with the entire culture. Like, what do you guys think is the reason why um, people don't want to tell original and authentic African stories? All right, Rodney, you were flashing your mic. You go ahead and then Sambaza can come on after. This is a good question. And, and uh, Nusa, you mentioned a lot of things that could very well, you know, be one of the factors. And what I will add to, to that is, and what I believe is the biggest, biggest reason is that we're not, like, so post, post uh, colonialism, Africa and Nigerians specifically, but Africans in general, kind of veered away from culture in general, because storytelling is part of, part of culture. That's how you, you, that's how you influence, you know, culturally. You tell your stories in all different formats. What happened was we began to focus more on oil and politics 
and tribalism and consolidation of power. And so if you notice, we're only the, the, the pockets that have any um, care to tell the stories that we have are very, very small. There's no buy-in from the government in a, in a real way. There is no you know, collaboration between the different sectors of government. For example, like you, look like a, you look at a movie like, like Top, Top Gun, for example, and how if you, if you watch the credits, you can tell that there was a heavy involvement with the um, American Navy. You know, how, do you, how do you tell a story about the Navy without you know, having the Navy involved, right? And so there are all these stories that can be told that, that, that exists in different ways. I'm not, in fact, I even know like the, the richness of the African experience is so crazy, especially if you're a podcaster. If you listen to podcasts, you've heard people tell all kinds of stories about all kinds of things. So just from that um, personal, um, that individual point of view, you can see that the stories exist. It doesn't even have to be historical. It doesn't have to be about um, our myths. Just the individual stories of what life is like as a Nigerian or an African, the unique things that we experience that, in fact, that's exactly what South Korea did in terms of exporting their culture. They just figured, you know what, let's just tell the stories of the South Korean experience in the most South Korean way possible. Like, we don't have to go back in time to like dig for anything. Let's just tell the, the everyday stories and create K-drama out of it. And then the government bought into it. All the different sectors of, 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 of the community bought into it. And they all add, you know, they all play their part to make this thing successful. So I think, to answer your question, Osa, it's just that Nigerians and Africans have different priorities that have nothing to do with culture. And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, how do you, it, it tells in also like the way the, the average Nigerian or African is in that because we, we don't, we don't have any, or we don't have much care for our culture and the stories that we have and telling them, it means that we, are, we, we can be very unsophisticated about the way we do things. You can see about maintenance, maintaining our infrastructure. You can see how we approach you know, governance and all these kind of things. You can see how we approach so many aspects of our lives. And it comes from that point of, you know, there is just not enough buy-in culturally. So obviously, when, Nollywood, when a Nollywood movie comes out, oh, we'll enjoy it for, the, for, for what it is. But in terms of taking things to the next level at an exponential rate, because there's no buy-in from all these different parts of our society, we'll always fall short. Thanks, Rodney. Sambasa, you can go ahead, and then after that, we'll let Jaye go and then move. Okay, thank you. Um, with regard to why it's not coming, uh, why we're not able to export our, our art, it's more to do with, first of all, let me go back to um, the stories. If you look at Africa, the African continent, the African continent is rich in so many stories. I mean, if I talk about Kenya, we have 45 tribes. And in those 45 tribes, we have um, sub-tribes. Now, imagine 45 tribes with their own stories, if you put them together. Now, one or two have been highlighted, like uh, Luanda Magere, or um, there's another one for Michikenda lady. I keep forgetting her. Um Mekatilili. Those are the two which are quite prominent in the Kenyan culture right now. 
But imagine that's just one country. And if we talk about Nigeria, I know that's just a vast um, uh, amount of tribes that are there. So those are so many stories that can be talked about and be made, as Ayo said, can be made into audio dramas and plays and what have you. But they have to be recorded. They have to be put somewhere and stamped in history so that they can be um, let, they can be um, available to the future generation. Now, back to the story that we're talking, the, the, the subject that we're talking about right now. The reason why um, we're not penetrating so far out is because of a few things. There's publishing. Publishing is very expensive. I remember doing a podcast with a guy called Tunji Anjurin, and he has, um, he's actually Nigerian. He has a, a publishing company called Panoramic, and he does uh, cartoon, which are cartoons which are famous, uh, actually books, which are famous for the Okiojo's Chronicles. That's what he does. And these uh, signs, they are, um, they talk about this um, hero in, uh, in, the, in the Nigerian context, and it's there. And he has a couple of um, books going on. And when we talked about that, uh, the, on that episode, we talked about the how it takes to publish these books, and it's quite expensive. So that's one of the problems that we're having. Um, there's also now when we come to podcasting, there there's um, if we can do more podcasts in storytelling, you know, get a mic, talk about it, and put it out there, we will have more will have more authentic stories being said out there. And then you have to introduce the kids. It doesn't matter whether you're in the diaspora, whether you're in the, um, wherever you are, right? All you have to do is uh, put some time in it. Instead of going to, if you say, for example, there's a podcast called Cabrazen. Cabrazen is a Kenyan podcast which tells ki kids stories. There's a lady who, uh, she's a Nigerian lady. She said because her grand, her mother was blind, she created a, a an Alexa, an app in Alexa for her to be able to find her way around. Now, if we can have those stories moved over to Alexa's, I'm sure you can tell your kid to sit down in the evening if you don't want to read the story and tell them to go to a certain um, certain uh, um, app on the Alexa and have them listen to a story instead of reading an, an European story like uh, Little Red Riding Hood, they could read, they could listen to uh, another story from an African, um, an African podcaster who tells a story of something that's authentic from home. And that's how you start it. It doesn't mean that we have to get books or any or other stuff, you know, just get a podcast, let them listen to the podcast and keep emphasizing that story over and over again. And that remains in the child's memory. And they'll come, as they grow older, they'll say, you know what, when I was younger, my mom used to turn on this particular podcast for me to hear every evening. And that's how we're going to keep our African stories going on and on and on. And that's all I have to say. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, Jaye, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you doing? Jay, are you available to speak? Um, okay, hi Mo. I'm okay. Oh, um, okay, Jay is back. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Hello, everyone. Um. Thanks for the privilege. Yeah. 
yeah, on exporting American uh, African stories, and uh, why is it that it's? Um, I think the question was asked: Why is it so difficult for the exportation of to uh, the African story to dominate or something like that? Um, when it comes to stories, Chaya, you sound pretty low. Oh, sorry. Can you can you hear me? Well? Yeah, it's better now. Thank you. Right. Yeah. So when when it comes to stories. I believe when we look at stories that have dominated or that have dominated in terms of literature, in terms of philosophy and, and the likes, you have to look at something. They have a touch with modernization, either modernization or they have something that has to do with power, conquer. What I'm seeing in essence is why should people listen to your story, right? Before your story becomes relevant, there must be something that you've done, right? And when we look at the, um, the modern Africa, there is no much that we can be proud of. And this also reflects in the relevance of our story. One thing that has made our story much more relevant, it's probably art and the preservations of cultures and stuff like that, right? And then we still have to be thankful for the Western people because somehow they are still the ones who tends to still want to preserve our stories, but then not being told in the most authentic way. But the key line is stories comes with power. The reason you certain stories of China, the Great War of China, we still learn is because when you look at the modern China, that you, I don't know if you understand. So um, when, when people dominate, they, they, they export their culture, they export their religion. They export whatever they, they, they believe in. They export their dressing, right? And, uh, and, but then in the midst of all of this, there's still something that, I, I still think there's a light in the tunnel, which I still like to mostly, you know, hold on to. And that is, despite this, um, a lot of African culture has still been able to still preserve the, the, um, the, their stories um, in the, in the more in a more um, non-domineering way or non um, very you know to your face kind of way. And then it's one way or the other still being accepted. When you're talking about the Yoruba culture, even one of the most exported um, culture and religion in you know in Africa, the reason why Quite recently, it's getting you know a lot of attention in terms of uh, people wanting to know about its mythology and all of that. It's because you have to look at the fact that in America you have people who practice you know Orisha as a religion, which is a deity you know back home. So there is there is Orisha as as a as a form of religion in America. So when you are in America and you you are an, an Orisha person, you want to know the origin of that. So from the origin of that, then it's still, you know, you know that oh this came from Nigeria, blah 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 blah. From then you want you know to give validity to what you believe in, then you want to tell the story. That is why it seems more now like a lot of people are kind of turning to the direction of Africa and all of those things, and also to just give meaning. But so so the bottom line is just that. The dominating of stories comes with power. It comes with achievements, you know, collective achievement of a country or of a people. Um, when you're talking about the Da Vinci, you're talking about um, um, 
Machiavelli and all of these people, they come with certain civilization, something new, right? Which still reflect in their present society. Yeah, so thank you. Thanks, Jay. Hi, Mo. Mo, are you able to speak? If yes, please go ahead. Yes, but you sound a little low. How about now? It's still very low. Still low. Still low? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm losing my speaker right now. Um, um, maybe try to exit the room and then come back. Sometimes that usually helps. All right, then. See you guys in a bit. All But yeah, great conversation so far. Again, if you're in the audience and you'd like to join in on the conversation, please put your hand up and we'll be able to bring you up to speak. Um, so... Um, basically the conversation is surrounding exporting African art and we have the good people of Podbreak, which is a community for podcast, African podcasters in diaspora. So, um, if you'd like to join Podbreak, the link is pinned to the top of the room. Just click the, um, link and join and be a part of the conversation. Um, so Nosa, so far with the answers that you've received to the question that you asked, how um, does that answer the question that you have? And um, do you have anything to add to those answers? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much. Uh, I'm sorry, can you hear me? I just took off my head. Yes. Mm -hmm. right, great. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, I think, uh, you know, Rodney uh, touched on it. Um, Zambaza um, also touched on it as well. Um, but I, I can't remember who was um, relating um, stories to power, and that that was a very very um, uh, that was a great point. Um, the others were were great as well. Um, but you know, I was just thinking about it while the DRC was speaking. You know, they say the African proverb uh, says. Um, till the lion learns to tell its own story, um, the story will always favor the hunter, right? So you, you see it all the time where, you know, there's an American sporting event. You know, I think the baseball, they call it the baseball world series, but it happens in America. They're not inviting other countries to come play, but they call it the world series. But because, you know, they have the power as far as baseball is concerned globally, they can afford to paint it in that light and call it the World Series or, you know, call someone the richest man in the world once the person is the richest man in America because Forbes is an American company. So um, that's a really valid point um, saying uh, story goes with power. You know, what really happened, you know, Alexander the Great, what really happened in the Greek Empire, what really happened uh, when England was conquering the world? You know, uh, we can get bits and pieces here, but some of those narratives were crafted by the generals and the people who won that war, regardless of what went down, right? So um, I guess 
what I can associate with that is, you know, as we continue to grow stronger as, as a continent, as a country, as a tribe, as a people, um, that's when we can better amplify our stories. And that's when we can, you know, maybe have the resources to build some of this infrastructure I was talking about. The unfortunate thing is that to tell stories um, effectively, in my opinion, you know, usually involves a lot of teamwork. And that's something that, you know, um, at least from what I've seen, uh, black people don't really excel at, not just Africans, not just black people in general, even people from other parts of the world. Now, you know, how can we come together uh, and, you know, work as a team in order to achieve an objective, whether that's telling a story, you know, uh, playing a position in order to add to the overall general objective. You know, everyone operates out of this individual mindset. And the funny thing about that is that <laughs> in other parts of our lives, we do play as a team, right? Whether that's at work uh, or, you know, other systems that are not created by us, we, we, we play our position and fit into that narrative. But when it comes to, you know, coming together um, as us to tell our stories, um, then, you know, um, unfortunately, we can't have that same power to build that uh, power in order to amplify those stories. So I think that was a very interesting point. And um, yeah, so far, so good. So I see Rodney's mic is blinking. Rodney, you want to add yeah, to Yeah, but Rodney, before you go, I want to see if um, Mo is able to speak now, and then you can go right after her, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Hi, Mo. Can you guys hear me better? Yes, we can. All right. Um, I didn't catch the name of the gentleman who spoke about South Korea the other time, and I wanted to just make a um, like a slight correction about when he said um, you start something and then the government got the buy-in. It's actually the other way around with South Korea. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Mo, and I'm a host of the one of the co-hosts actually now of the podcast, the Morrisible Podcast, and. Um, when it comes to the quick answer to the question about how we're not, you know, telling our stories, I just take it back to it's still trauma-related in a way. If you think about how the scramble for Africa led to just dividing of our geographical and political boundaries and leading to partitioning of several ethnic groups across what they termed their own African states. And I think that kind of robbed us of a sense of identity. I traveled to Europe recently, and I made a post about it on my um, Facebook. I was in Prague specifically, and one of the unique things about Prague, uh, which is a, um, a city in Czech Republic, is it's one of the very few states in Europe that wasn't bombed during World War II. So in addition to them not having a lot of their um, historical relics destroyed, they've been able to build around it and just keep it. You'll see, like for example, they have an astronomical clock that dates back to the early 19th century and i you know it, the more i stood in all of this you know relics and you know going on a tour and seeing everything the joy i felt at learning about them was actually equated to the sadness i felt being african because i'm from nigeria and i can't even think of anything that is that old that has been preserved for that long or we get excited about so i think the um the quickest answer to that is identity has been robbed and it, it started with a scramble for africa now, going back to South Korea, which is a country that I've studied heavily, um, their entertainment system is a deliberate 
um, investment by the government. As a matter of fact, um, Nigerians might be um, a little bit, Nigerians that are here might maybe remember those times when there was heavy sanctions during the Babangida era. I was born in the 80s, so I remember how you couldn't watch some um, some movies or some things that had that were anti-government, you could end up being thrown in jail. South Korea was like that. And it wasn't until the government started easing down on um, the restrictions. And before then, a lot of the artists, um, like um, Joan Kwon is one that comes to mind, they call him the, one of the, they call him the John Lennon of Korea. They came up in inventive ways of talking about the government without actually talking about the government. So they would tell stories through songs of being in an abusive relationship or having a lover that is er like an errant lover, but it was about the government, but then they couldn't arrest them because anyone looking at you, you could think of it like it was being in a very um, dysfunctional relationship. Now with BTS, for example, which is like a phenomenon across the world, those um, labels you see right now that are popping from Korea, they came through venture capitalism. The government, there's a specific arm um, within the government that really helps with selling their soft power to the world. When the Korean War happened in the 1950s, and that line was drawn across the, the parallel that separated two Americans actually did that. Two American soldiers arbitrarily drew a line that became North and South Korea. North Korea was annexed to, um, fortunately for them, them they, they were, I mean, that's like where the steel and the manufacturing company were annexed because it was more hilly, because Korea as a whole is very hilly. But a lot of their manufacturing um, industries were annexed to the North. So around 1950s and early 1960s, the GDP of North Korea was actually higher than that of South Korea. And I know that might sound very unbelievable right now, thinking about just how far behind North Korea is. And before the USSR fell into um, shambles, they got a lot of funding from there. So a lot of their train stations right now and even some of their schools have like Russian markings on them because North Korea was heavily um, supported by um, um, USSR, which was, you know, which is now Russia. But then the, the South, and this is mostly because of the U.S. trying to gain their own um, foothold without, within that country. They were supported by the, um, the American groups, right? And that came with Martian funding through the U.N. But I want to say that, all that to say that if you keep tilling the soil right now in South Korea, you would not find any natural resources. And what that came about was the sense of pride by Koreans to build something. And maybe they have a common enemy being North Korea and China to prove something to themselves. And an average South Korean human is highly competitive and they're very, very proud about their identity. And that comes from many other issues with, you know, Japanese imperialism and so many things, which I'm not going to go into. But the government had to do a lot because they realized that they couldn't rely on their manufacturing industries anymore. And slowly they started doing more producing chips. Um, Samsung, which is a, a brand that I so much love, used to start out as a department store, producing sugar and whatnot. But then they started doing chips and producing um, 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 conductors for um, electronics and all that. So all that to say, it has to be a top-down approach. And, and I think for Korea, it's an opportunity in crisis, right? The Asian financial crisis, which happened in 1997, it led to heavy losses in the manufacturing company and it prompted them a number of businesses to turn to the entertainment sector briefly. I mean, I'm sorry, swiftly. But that also came with heavy funding from the government. And there's possibly some good news as Africans. I don't think we should lose hope just yet. Um, the sad thing about 
being a Nigerian here is that I've moved out of my my home, my roots, and there's a grief that comes with that because I can never be American enough, and I'm not as Nigerian as I really want to be. And even interactions with my grandparents and you know my other um, older family members have been have been have been lost because I moved. I'm so far away from home. But we are an embodiment of our stories. By virtue of everybody being here on your podcast platform, you're telling stories about yourself. You might not be telling them about the artwork of your country, but you are a representative of that country. And I think that's what separates BTS, for example, from Beyonce. When I think about Beyonce, she has a star power, but I don't think of her as a US representative. She doesn't carry that. And not that she should, why should she? But an an average um, Korean K-pop star or even um, artist, they are, a representative of the country is why Korea right now is one of the top places you want to go for surgeries, for skincare, for um, um, go seeing, go look at the sites where some movies were shot because they made that, it was very deliberate. It's a deliberate engineering by the government. Let me take Nigeria for example, and I'm going to round off real quick. Um, I, I go to events, the Thermic African, um, African event, but it ends up being about Nigeria anyway. And I, and I know I should say that carefully because I know there are other non-Nigerians here. But even without the help of the government, we've gone so far. Look at the appeal and the reach. Our artists like Whiskey, Bonner Boy, um, um, Davido, or even some East African ones like Zuchu, Sotisol, they've had in promoting the image of their country. And we just we just started because internet boon as a world, because we cannot talk about reach without talking about connectivity. And it wasn't until the Obasanjo era when we had GSM really help with making sure that this part of our country, Nigeria, was connected. But see how much we've done with, you know, um, with TikTok and even the um, Lagos um, protests that we had in um, two years ago. So those are incremental gains we can start thinking of. But collectively, we're still trying to um, seize back our identity because we cannot talk about growth without talking about the impacts the scrabble of Africa has had on us. And, you know, kind of like, almost like they kind of sorted us through and then they forced us into a bed of, you know, a marriage of inconvenience as it was. But I still see some hope, you know, in the way we carry our stories, in the way we represent ourselves in any part of the world. And perhaps we might never have a chance where every African will have to go back home. But wherever we are in the world, I think we carry our stories with us. And so we shouldn't lose hope. And yeah, that's what I wanted to say. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk. I wasn't going to say anything, but I heard Korean. I'm like, no, nah, I got to say something. All right. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mo. That was very insightful. Rodney, you are going to speak. You can go ahead. Um, Mo, very well said. Um, I was born in South Korea, so uh, even I didn't know as much as you just put out. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, thanks, thanks for that. And I was I was going to share this, the sentiment with which you ended it, in that. I don't like to compare where Nigeria is now, or where Africa is now with Europe and the Americas. I like to think that they had a 500 year start in terms of you know, what it means to, to document, to preserve and to tell stories. You know? So I think Africa and Nigeria specifically are going to have their, their golden age. They're gonna have their renaissance just like Europe had its renaissance. We're gonna have all those periods in time that other continents experienced that got them to the point where they're in now. It's just that, unfortunately, you know, um, African leaders, they, they, 
they're a bit hard-headed. When you look at the, the from Zimbabwe in terms of Robert Mugabe and the Mobutus and the different guys who happen to take power, whose, whose main interests were purely selfish and military and, dictate, and dictating to the people what they should be doing or not doing. We're going to enter into a period where we're getting leaders who are a bit more progressive, who are thinking, you know, like the president of, uh, of Rwanda, of, of, of Kenya. If we're lucky, we'll have P2B join the fray. You know, the Zambian president who came in um, about a year ago and is doing great things. So there's going to be our, our time as Africans, we're going to get the right leaders who understand the value of some of these things and they will help us, you know, they, they, they will help put that um, fire to our, to our kettle. In the meantime, it's really cool what we're doing right now, despite all the, you know, challenges we have in front of us, right? We're still telling our stories, we're still finding ways to, be, to, to, to create and be creative. And that's a story in itself. I think by the time we cross this barrier, we can look back on this time and tell stories of how, you know, some, some people who, against all odds, were able to, you know, create things that, you know, led us to that time. And that's why we have to, like, you know, you know we talk about infrastructure. I don't want to think about the limitations too much because if you think of limitations, you will not create anything. But what, what we do have is we have, we have minds, we have the, the, the fodder for the stories. We have everything we need to tell stories, even if it doesn't go too far, even within our circles. We have, to, we have to appreciate and tell our stories within our communities at the very least, starting from there. Whether we just, with or without funding or budgets or whatever, we have to find ways to tell our stories now because by the time the leaders and the, the infrastructure and the things that we need to take things to another level come in, then it's like, you don't have to, get ready because you stayed ready because you're already doing the thing that's my approach to to um exporting african art and african culture we're already doing what, what needs to be done right now we're preparing for you know you, you think of the 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 um the protest the um uh that mo just mentioned it's um NSARS. yes 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 the NSARS. all of those things if you're really if you're paying attention to how how history repeats itself all of those things are you know, for what it's worth, as tragic as it may have ended, they are all, the, the silver lining is that they're all pointing as touch points as to where Africa and Nigeria is going in terms of how these stories are being created. Because the thing, that answer is how to happen for there to be a story, right? In 2010-odd years, the events of that month of October in 2020 will be a great story, to be an award-winning story, to be a story that will change the lives of so many upcoming artists and directors and, and filmmakers and, and whatever. There's so many things that happened around that time that any, any historian and any storyteller can just pick, you know, whether you're picking from the Lekki Togit part or from um, before we got to, to, I mean, when, the, when the, the, the protest first started, there's so many different characters and players that were involved that there's so many stories you can't even pick from just that, that microcosm of an event. But it's still historic enough to tell us that we are trending in the right direction. With Obi coming in and, and, and being a candidate, his candidacy is a, re, is a response to what happened in 2020. So this, we're seeing the signs slowly but surely, different things, actors playing their roles to create stories worth telling. And then when things land where they're supposed to land, when we, when we arrive at a point where, you know, 
the, the government and the, um, the creative industry have a, a achieved synergy, then you'll see how all these events will now become further for like the most amazing stories. So I like to think that we're, we've not even reached our, our renaissance period, our time to really, really shine. We're, really, we're building towards something and we should all take solace in that when we talk about the African story and Nigerian story. And, that's, and, and finally, one last thing, and I forget, to forget this. One thing that I've noticed that I think is probably what will make or break all of this is the quality of the outputs, the creative outputs. One of the reasons why Afrobeats is, is, is doing so much better than Nollywood, and I talked about this on, a, on one of the latest bonus episodes of the podcast. It was a, it was a debate, actually, between myself, um, a fashion designer, um, a social architect, and a TV host. We're in a room, and we had what I titled The Great Debate About the State of the Creative Industry. And one of the things that we, we went back and forth about was what is it that, re that is responsible for Afrobeats ascension and why Nollywood isn't catching up as much. One of the arguments there was, like many have said here, infrastructure, budget, and all these things, which is fair. But my argument was the creative output. Afrobeats has been able to understand that if you're able to create the highest quality product, if the players in the field are, are, are being as experimental and as true to the art of creating as possible, and creating all kinds of sounds, all kinds of experiences that serve not just one niche in the market, but various niches. So you have the you, so we have a, we have a market where Brimo and Whiskid can coexist, no problem. We have a we have a, a market where Tiwa Savage and Iniola can exist, no problem. They are both pushing boundaries in their areas through what they create and the sounds and experiments that they take, and that is what makes Afrobeat so attractive. So now you can see someone like Drake and Ed Sheeran and all these guys, they want to, they, 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 these are also artists who are also committed to the craft in their own way. And so they want to they work with African artists and create new stuff. That's how, so it's the fuel behind any growth and any, any explosion of, of commerce and um, profit and business and, you know, the, the, the changing of lives in communities is from these actors, these burner boys, these guys, these CKs and co, who are taking their craft seriously. I don't think Nollywood has that in the same, um, to the same effect, to the same range. They're still very, very, I mean, they tell, they tell African stories, but for an international audience, sometimes it feels, you know, the, 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 the stories don't yet feel like we've hit a, a place where there's a, there's a overlap between the excellence in the craft and the story itself. So we have the stories, right? I think our, our, our next goal should be personally in each of our fields to, to, to aim for excellence in how we put out the craft that we create, in, what, in how we tell it, the tools we use to tell it, our approach to like learning and experimenting and trying new things and collaborating also, right? I think by the time we, we, we also get that as individuals, because it's individuals that make these things happen. We can talk about the, 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 the whole, all we like, but the individuals in their little corners, in, the, in their little dark rooms, the lights are off, they're on their computers, you know, trying some things, you know, having conversations and, and, and trying to experiment. Those are the guys that change the game for all of us. So that is um, the, 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 the last piece of the puzzle I would like to like throw in there and see what you guys think about that, the excellence and the creative output when it comes to our approach to the craft. Thanks, Rodney, for sharing that. And um, yeah. 
Uh, what I'll just do is go around the room and let everyone just say um, whatever they wanted to say in regards to what Rodney said and anything else they'd like to add. And then we'll just wrap up because I know Nosa, we scheduled this for an hour and it's well over, but it's a great conversation and I'm loving the conversation. And, you know, we can, I don't think this is a topic that can be put in one hour, but, you know, let's just try to keep it short and simple and just keep going and till we are done so nosa uh, do you have any last words or anything to add to what rodney just said uh i have a question um but first before i ask my question let me also thank uh tomi faye and other members of niger pod hub for this uh collaborative opportunity um you know this is just another avenue for africans to come together to tell stories you know we're starting with you know a clubhouse uh, session today, but you know, hopefully, members of both organizations can come together to tell st some of these stories we're talking about. Um, as you know, we go around the room and people um, give their comments. Uh, I also like to ask a question. Uh, if anyone would like to answer this during the go around, is as the world is today, given you know all the platforms and the t current technology we have. What is the, what do you think is the low hanging fruit for Africans to exploit, to tell their stories, right? What do you think is the best medium that ex exists today as we work towards that grand scheme of uh, like the Korean government to, you know, start to put our stories out there, quality stories that can be consumed across the world and can be monetized. Anyone that wants to touch on that? Um, so, yeah. All right, Mifa, would you like to go? Hey, um, so I think the first thing, before I speak on Nosa's questions, I just want to say, um, Mo, I don't know if it would be possible for you to do like a podcast episode of, you know, the history of South Korea and all that, all that good stuff. Like, it was so fun listening to you just, you know, just... Do oh, I have. I have done several oh. of them. I haven't had a show... We looked at African entertainment and had some recommendations. But yeah, if anybody wants to come and... I mean, these topics are not exhaustive, right? We can always have more um, discussion around it. But yeah, I, 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 I can talk about this all day long and not get tired. Yeah, it was it was quite obvious. And it, it was really cool to just sit back and hear you, you know, wax lyrical. In a good sense on, on the topic. Um, but... Basically, um, with respect to Nosa's questions, uh, a, a low-hanging fruit. I don't. I think there are so many, and I wouldn't call them low-hanging fruit. I just think that they've always been there. It's just we've not quite utilized them as much as possible. For me personally, I think it's it, it's the writing. It has to be writing for me because I feel like, and I I say this as often as I can. I feel like everybody's a capable writer. Like no matter how how much you hate typing on your computer or using a pen or paper everybody is a writer if they can just you know put their mind to it so i think um that is one way that we could you know be able to leverage our stories because we we when you talk about even the nollywood one thing that always gets me is that i feel like these people are not telling good stories they're not writing good stories like the aesthetics is there there's the cinematography that is very much improved but the stories are just not you know they don't just have that um factor to it. 
I think writing and the, the beauty about writing is that it it gives you the avenue to invent new worlds. It gives you the avenue to create new worlds. It gives you the avenue to try new things, to make different adaptation. I think it was um I don't think I think it was Sambaza that was speaking about it or Ayo that mentioned, you know, trying to, you know, look at our folklore, our myths and you know, pick a pick a section and try to do something with it. It's something that I feel most people, most of us, at least in this part of the world, don't don't do. We we, we tend to be sticklers for what we want to think is our traditional values that we're not ready to even experiment in terms of making stories fun. You know, we want to tell our mythological stories, and we just feel like if it's not one particular way, it's not that it, it shouldn't it wouldn't be fun in that way. There's a debate about the latest movie that that is on Netflix. I think it's the the one that is adapted from Wally Schrenker's book, um, The King's Horseman. And there's a lot of divided opinion about some people saying it is boring. And some people have been like, oh, those, if, you, if you don't have a particular side, type of IQ, you would not understand the movie. But I'm thinking, why do you need a particular type of IQ to understand the movie? Why, why not make it fun so that even those who cannot read Wally Schrenker because of how you know dense his work is, can be able to relate to this? You know. And and why not just make it something experimental? You, you don't have to be such a stickler for what you feel like is the ultimate. So I feel writing, we can use writing to change so much. So as content creators, we are writers in our own way. We can do that. We can reinvent ourselves, reinvent our stories. And with that, you know, push it to the world at large. Thanks, Mifa. Hi, Aya. Would you like to go? Uh, okay, so low-hanging fruit. Um, I think we can just pretty much start telling stories with whatever we have right now. Um, Mifa says, and, and I'm with Mifa, writer to writer, I'm with Mifa on, you know, um, um, the, the, the story. I mean, maybe not necessarily the writing. Writing is definitely is part of it, but I think the idea first, you know, for me, like the idea, then the writing. So it's pretty much one and the same thing, if I can say that. But I think instead of more, I really enjoyed Mo's um, talk about, you know, um, uh, South Korea, very, very enlightening, very educative. I think you should do something, or you mentioned something about the Abacha era. I think we can begin to tell stories as simple as those, you know, our experiences there. Most of us that grew up in the 80s, or were born in the 80s rather, grew up during that period, you know, the day Abacha died, how everybody was happy. I remember very well, I was in school, I was in secondary school, I went to King's College, I was literally, we were literally on, you know, in the, um, we were playing football, it was break time then, you know, and next thing, you know, we just started smelling um, tear gas, <laughs> you know, and we got to hear the later on, maybe later that day that, oh, Abacha died, but the joy that, you know, this man died. I think we can start with those simple, simple stories that we all grew up. It's history. Abacha dying is history. is big. If you imagine episode one of a podcast or the beginning of, beginning of a story starting with, you know, that, you know, Death is something that you know is supposed to make people grieve, but one time in history, it was the day that everybody you know laughed and cried for joy. You know, you could start that way. So let's start with the stories that are you know very you know close to heart. I don't think you need rights to tell that story. I don't think you need um, publishing rights or you know you need to get rights, copyrights to be able to, be able to tell you know that kind of story. Um, so I think more if you could maybe have like a roundtable conversation or anybody that podcast really or is interested in telling our stories it could be just like hollywood reporters how they do these roundtable conversations with you know 
actors or whatever. It could just be that kind of, you know, podcast. Our story is still definitely being put in history that way. You know, it's already acting through the foundations of, you know, history is going to be online and it's going to be there forever. If you want to put in a few dollars to promote it, you know, that's fine. So I think we can start with, you know, simple stories in the simplest of formats. If it's just a conversational podcast or if it's just a monologue type kind of podcast or a solo cast, you know, like Rodney does or whatever. I think we can tell, you know, pick just very simple um, stories and tell them. I know a lot of people are working on telling the um, October 20, you know, the answer story, you know, again. But like I said, you can't have too many of those stories. You know, um, the, the, the British, the, the Americans, they've, they've pretty much told their stories in many, many forms, telling the same thing, but in different, you know, ways. In fact, the July 4th story has been told so many times. Americans, they move, they've done movies about it. Probably the biggest being the one with Will Smith July for Independence Day. You know, so I think we can pretty much pick um, any low-hanging story, anything that, you know, we can easily, you know, amongst ourselves, you know, knock out and fact check, you know, and, and, and whatever. So I think that's probably the, um, the, the way to go if you ask me. But I think more because you really, really talk very enlightened um, about, about the South Korea. I think if you want to share any story about Nigeria, sincere Nigeria, I would gladly listen to it. <laughs> And I'll gladly be on the show uh, for me joining on that kind of podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it for me. Hey, awesome. Mo, the ideas are flowing in for you. So, if that's something you're interested in, please do it. And I, oh my God, you went to KC. I went to QC. Hey. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> so, what, 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 what does that now mean? Don't mind QC and KC people. I went to Sarah. I will beat you guys from afar. Hey guys, hey everyone. Um, this conversation has actually been a very interesting one to listen to. I've been at um, lunch with my family, but I've been listening in and it's very been, it's very been well. Thanks, Faith, for gracing yeah. us with your presence, finally. Yeah, like, I wish I had... Well, you're cutting out. We can't hear you. Oh, now she's on a call. All right, Sambasa, hi. Do you want to answer the question and just wrap up? Uh, no, for now, I'm just listening. Uh, uh, I was just listening in. I, I think I've contributed a lot. <clears throat> um, I don't know how to wrap up, but uh, I feel that we should uh, continue to uh, continue with this. Maybe create another segment and explore this subject um, a little bit more with time. I know one hour is not enough, so uh, it's my humble request that we could do this again one more time and discuss this topic again, maybe divide it into portions and then kind of break it down some more. All right. Can I say something before we go? Yeah, sure, please do. Yeah, um, I think the last question about how do we do it, like the medium to do it, I, I think the internet's we have the backing of, of the internet. Um, I think that's really the store of knowledge, kind of like the brand from um, Game of Thrones. Because I imagine that this history that was kept from in European countries, when they were doing those activities, they didn't think that one day it was gonna be preserved this way. And in the absence of having like vault rooms to store papers and all that, we have the internet to kind of, you know, leave those data breadcrumbs and um, what was it? I think it was um, 
I or maybe I forget who the person was talking about quality. I wholesomely agree with that. And um, in that light to be subjectivity, because art is always subjective, right? And I think for countries like South Korea, they have been able to be intentional about their subjectivity. I have Korean friends. They hate watching their dramas, but I watch them so much and they are fascinated how much I love them. And the way I talk about South Korean um, media and all that, it's the same way I see a lot of my non-Nigerian friends, especially African-American friends. They love Nollywood so much. And I look at them and wonder, like, what are you guys seeing in this? But I know that um, for South Korean um, creators, a lot of their um, products are not really designed for um, their um, citizens as they were, is to sell it to the world. And I think that's what African um, entertainment is to start doing. It's good that we have the attention of a lot of our citizens to watch, you know, because without those people, I think we'll have fallen flat a long time ago. But we can be more intentional in seeing how we can extract the stories and export them to the world. Um, a last example I'll use is with, um, um, even going back to South Korea again, if you think about the rich, and I use this country, Saudi Arabia, which as we know, it's ultra conservative. They've been, they, they're trying to host the next um, more KCON events. KCON events, is, think of it like a Comic Con, but for like K-related um, um, media, like, you know, their music and all that. And a lot of their stars go there to perform. I mean, they might have to be dressed super conservatively and not show all of their bomb shots and all that. But for a country like Saudi Arabia to be very receptive to K-pop and K-drama, you're seeing a lot. And the, the I mean, I think also yeah. Korean entertainment, I mean, lacks a lot of nudity and obscene lyrics. And so that has helped them to flourish in ultra-conservative Arab societies where Wahhabism is a state religion. And that's something I think we can do with African. Um, I'm not saying we should target all those countries, but we can be more intentional in how we spread it and thinking about what is the lesson? Why would people come to, you know, how can we cut much more, more honey with flies as a way? So yeah, quality, definitely increasing that reach and then def and also relying on the power of the internet because the internet never forgets. And in this case, it will be a good thing for us. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate your feedback, Ayo. I'll be reaching out to you. And yeah, I remember where I was to when Abacha died. 1999, I was in boarding house. We just ran out. I think we got like a weekend pass to go home. It was an exciting day for everybody. All right, thank you all for the opportunity. All right, bye. Thank you so much, Mo. Um... Do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? Also, Faye and Nosa, are you guys open to doing another one of these rooms and then breaking it up like this since, you know, it's something that has been requested? Are you open to it? Yeah, definitely. We're always uh, open to collaborating with our Nigerian brothers and sisters. Or that they went to KC or QC. <laughs> Don't be a hater. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. <laughs> because it's like the rest of us, we are spoon now. We didn't go. But you guys school. don't matter now. It's just KC and QC <laughs> and the others. <laughs> I imagine. But yeah, hi, Nancy. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for joining. Um, did she just come on stage? Yes. Okay, Nancy, please, if you have um, thoughts on this or anything you'd like to share before we wrap up, I need to go ahead.
Okay, so I, I, I guess not, because I can't see her anymore. Okay, yeah, um, just to second what Nosa said, definitely we're open to having um, more of these kind of rooms. Um, so yes, if you want to, if you have a topic that's just as amazing as, as this and you'd like to suggest, you know okay. how to reach out to the admin. Hi, guys. Hi, Nancy. Sorry. Um, I'm in the car with the kids, but I've been listening. This is an amazing conversation. And um, I just want to add a little, just to give my little two cents. Um, I think we are giving a, a lot on our platforms in terms of who we are as Africans. We are opening windows to where we are from, whether Nigerian, Zambian, Ghanaian, Kenyan. And people are following us in that way, and we are telling our stories. So I agree with everybody else saying that we are we are still telling our stories, and slowly but sure, uh, we can bring the bigger stories. Like for me, I don't know the other gentleman that they are talking about. I know about Nelson Mandela when he came out of prison. I was in school, boarding school, and it was such a moment for all of us. Be, me being in the southern part of Africa, and that was huge for us. Um, so as we continue to tell our stories, I would urge everybody to share their stories because you're giving a window to everybody else that's listening to you as to who you are and where you're coming from. Tell your story as authentic as possible. And when you get a moment to tell the other people's stories, like the people that you admire, you'll be more freer and authentic mommy, as well to mommy, tell their stories. Go. Because you can't tell other people's stories without your story being authentic. Um, as for uh, African stories, like in the cartoon form, go, I've given, um, I think, an opportunity mommy, to my go. kids to listen to African tales in a cartoon form. So for anybody with kids and they're, they're looking to, you know, uh, give some type of information to their kids in that form or stories. Um, my kids really enjoy African tales uh, on uh, YouTube. It's told very well and it reminds me of my childhood and I'm just grateful for whoever it's the people that are sharing those stories on uh, YouTube actually. So thank you guys for um, sharing. It's been amazing. I, I, I was in the background listening. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nancy. Lovely hearing from you today. Hi, Matilda. How are you doing? Hey. Hey, everyone. Long time no hair. I, I know, guess. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, as like a a member kind of of both um, parties like on here today I just I really enjoyed the conversations I didn't I felt like I didn't have as much to add to it which is why I didn't really speak as much but I really enjoyed the people that had the conversations and like what they had to contribute um I just say like a shout out to the people that are already telling the stories because like as someone that consumes a lot of like African podcasts and a lot of Nigerian movies African movies on Netflix I know that people are trying to do this. Maybe we're not on the scale that we want to be or telling the stories that we want to, but I think we're on the right path. Um, I think we're telling our stories, to be honest. So um, I just, I know we can do it better. So 
yeah, I really appreciate these kind of conversations and I'm looking forward to like the next time this conversation happens. So yeah, thanks everyone. Awesome, thank you, thank you for joining us. All right, so um, I'm putting it to Nosa and Faye to schedule the next one. And yeah, next time you're joining this conversations, we'll share the information. Tell someone to tell someone to join the conversation. Matilda, yeah, an African podcaster in diaspora, please join Podbreak. It's a community for podcasters in diaspora. If you're not already a part of it, please do. Um, Hi, yeah. Oh, ask, see? I don't even know why I had to ask. Anyways, um, Nessa, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? Uh, not really. Just to say thank you to everyone for ca uh, carving out a bit of your Sunday um, to come join this session. And uh, wish everyone a blissful rest of your weekend and an even more productive week uh, from Monday. All right, awesome. awesome. Thank you. Faye, would you like to close out the room for us? Faye, are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just got to my phone, guy. It was charging. Yeah, um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. And we are always happy to have you and happy to see how much you support our community. It's been an interesting year so far, and we will keep having interesting conversations to push forward the African culture, talent, craft as much as we can. And I'm always happy when, you know, we're able to have conversations like this that are actually very interesting and productive and, you know, having people here to support it. So thank you so much for being here. And until next time, when we have another interesting topic to talk about. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful Sunday and we'll catch you guys at the next event. Bye bye.